Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Danny Wu, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. Christmas Day, big day for the Golden State Warriors. They ended up going to Cleveland, facing the Cavs, and losing in an exciting, close, often frustrating game, 109-108. I want to talk about it with Adam Wardson, who was generous enough to take the time. He does the Fast Break blog for the San Jose Mercury News, frequent Locked On Warriors guest, and was nice enough to join the show late in the day, despite being two time zones away. So I really do appreciate that. Conversation runs about 35 minutes. It goes through a lot of different parts of the game and our thoughts on it. If you haven't watched it, I really do recommend taking the time, even if the fourth quarter will make you want to do terrible things to various things. But it was an an exciting experience and one of the few games in the regular season that's actually worth getting a little bit excited about. So here's our conversation. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Merry Christmas to everyone. Happy holidays. Yeah, and and thank you for for taking time out of the holiday. I know it's late there to to talk about this game, and I'm of two minds with it because it was significant in the sense that it was fun and it was interesting, and that it looked like both teams cared. So it was significant in that sense, but insignificant in the sense that it is just one regular season team. Both these squads are at, in ways not at what they will be later on. So. Do you see it the same way? And if so, how do you reconcile those? Yeah, I see it the same way in that it's obviously just one game. This isn't the playoffs. We're in December. You don't want to put too much weight on this game. But I'd probably go a little bit more towards it being significant, just that this is the one team that the Warriors really desperately wanted to measure themselves up against, even more than the Spurs. Given everything that happened in Game 7, given the bad blood between the teams since then, just in the war of words going back and forth, this was the game that the Warriors, I think, really wanted to make a statement. And they didn't make that statement. If anything, uh, they repeated the mistakes that gave them such a hard time in Game 7 and in the playoffs and really raised more questions about what the future matchup between these teams is going to look like. A phrase I fall back on sometimes is teachable moments. And actually, I've used it with Kerr before. And this, the whole fourth quarter felt like a teachable moment where the Warriors, and this has happened both in the finals last year. Actually, it happened at other moments too. I think game one of the Western Conference finals had happened as well, where the Warriors have a lead and they start going away from what makes them successful. And particularly for me in this game, it was about the offense betraying the defense. Yeah, the offensive switch in the fourth quarter is, I think, the pivotal pivotal moment to talk about in this game. Because Kevin Durant had been tremendous. He had been scoring at will. He had been scoring inside, outside. And he keeps shooting through the fourth quarter, but he's not making it anymore. He goes two for nine, I think, in the fourth quarter. And Curry, Thompson, Green, to a lesser extent, are nowhere to be found in the offense. Curry's not taking shots. Thompson's missing. And the Warriors just really didn't seem to have an answer at that point. Uh, It was almost as if they expected to ride Durant the entire way and everyone else became passive. They compounded those problems with some bad passes, some sloppiness, 
some of the things that we've seen before from them in a late game. But it was really the question of, okay, who is going to guide this team in a tight game that worries me here? Uh, We've seen Kevin Durant be the man. We've seen Curry obviously step up and fill that role. But it almost seemed like both of them were being a little bit tentative here, and they hadn't fully negotiated how they were going to handle a situation like this against an elite team where someone just needs to step up and take over the game, and neither of them was capable of really doing it. That's a great point. And something I was thinking about during this game, which is something actually that non-Warriors people talk about a fair amount, and it's totally true, is that the Warriors offense, as dominant as that Curry-Green pick-and-roll was in the 2015 finals, that is not a staple of their offense, broadly speaking. And they rely a lot on more kind of player movement, ball movement. You can even think about something like the Cyclone play, which is in, in ATO. They ran it well in this game. It's the same play that made Stan Van Gundy go absolutely crazy in Friday's game. That's the, what the Warriors are under Steve Kerr. They're not that high pick and roll them to death. Kind of like I was thinking back to that Cleveland game against Toronto, where Cleveland ran the same play, I think, nine times in a row. It was a Del Vadova lebron pick and roll, and basically ran it until Toronto stopped them and took, I think they I think they expanded their lead by like 12 points. This was last year. I think it was in the playoffs. And the Warriors at this moment, and I don't know if it's Kerr, I don't know if it's the players, but it seems to me like it might be Kerr, are a little bit too prideful or too wrapped up in the ethos that is their system to go, we have, we basically have a a Chico, like people talk about Steph that way all the time, but they have another one, which is like the Curry Green or especially the Curry Durant pick and rolls. And they go, oh, well, that's not us. And it's like, well, you know what? To win a game, everything should be you guys. Yeah, I think that's right. And you can walk down a number of parts of the Warriors sort of perception of themselves. And that's great for the regular season. It's great even for a game like this that nothing is really riding on. But when you get into the playoffs, when you're in a game five, six, or seven, you you just need the most effective thing that you have. And it seems like there are many effective tools in the Warriors' arsenal that they really aren't leaning on as much as they could. They're not deploying as much as they could. You you named a couple of them on offense. Uh, I know Green at center is one on defense. I think, obviously, that Kerr gives limited minutes to, uh, but could have a greater positive impact on the team. And all of these are really sort of small complaints at this point. I mean, this is the best team in basketball. They have an incredible record. But if you're going to criticize this team, what better game than this? They need to prove that they can beat the Cleveland Cavaliers, and they just came up short in a game where they had every incentive to go out there and blow the Cavs out of the water. The reason this has significance to me is because of Game 7. Because what happened in that series in the, in the finals was that at various moments, things were taken away from Steve Kerr. And at at moments, he had to react to that in different ways. You know, like Bogut getting hurt in the game where Draymond Green was suspended. Yeah, that's a big problem. Kyrie and LeBron also went insane in that game. Then game six, they did that. And so game seven, you and I followed the Warriors for years, have have covered the finals. And you're sitting there going, okay, oh, so they're going to ride, you know, they're going to ride Draymond at center. They're going to ride these, the wings that they've cultivated and all this time. And especially because Bo gets out. So you're sitting there and you're going, okay, that's that's the plan. Like, that's what they're going to do. And it's not like I think Kerr disagrees with that interpretation of the roster that was put in front of him. However, that is not the way he chose to do it. He went back to his security blanket of, oh, let's play centers. Let's do all this kind of stuff. And that's the reason why I'm concerned, because you don't get a bigger moment than that. And now whenever I say, oh, well, maybe they'll 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 fix this in the playoffs. I have to go, I have to change that to a, a, from something of confidence to something of possibility. 
Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's what last year showed. And you, you look at something like Curry in the fourth quarter. Curry, from what I'm looking at here, had three shots total in over seven minutes in the fourth quarter in a close game against the Cavs. Some of that was because of great Cavs defense, but a lot of that was from passivity. And whether that was by design or because of Curry or whatever, that's not the Warriors playing to their strengths. You have a two-time MVP who's getting off three shots over seven minutes in a pivotal fourth quarter. Something's just wrong there. You can expand it to the second half. Second half, he played 19 minutes, 18 seconds, six shot attempts, three assists, one turnover. Yeah, you want to rely a lot on Durant, but Stephen Curry is there, and even if he's a decoy on a lot of it, the Cavs respect the hell out of that guy. And so you want to make sure that he is involved. And not only you talked about in the fourth quarter, which is a great point about Curry not shooting, Klay Thompson only had two shot attempts too. And Kyrie Irving is defending one of those two guys for that entire stretch because Kyrie played all 12 minutes. So you yeah, should be Clay getting arguably, seen somewhere. Yeah, Clay arguably had been as hot as Durant leading up to that point. He had taken fewer shots, but he was being incredibly efficient. He was playing an all-around game. So just to abandon Thompson like that or to have him not assert himself uh, it's just, it, these are the growing pains that a team is going to have to go through, but I would have hoped that they would have been closer to figuring this stuff out by now. Uh, they've played a significant number of games, uh, the fourth quarter drill of, okay, when we really need points, who do we go to is one of the most basic fundamental things that a team practices. And the Warriors were unable to execute that tonight in a close game beyond the stretch. We've focused to a degree on the negative part of it so far, and we'll bounce between the two, but an overwhelming positive for me from the Warriors' perspective from this game is that, by and large, you know, Durant had some spectacular moments, and Clay had some, Clay was just on fire for a few short stretches in this game. They didn't play their best basketball overall. Cleveland played fine. You know, I don't think either team was great, especially in that first quarter, which was just really sloppy before it got fun. And the Warriors still should have won this game. You know, they were up 14 points with, I think it was like nine or so to go. They, it took like basically kind of them falling apart a little bit in the fourth quarter. If they had just kind of held court, it would have been the, a kind of game that we would have expected. And so even though the Cavs don't have JR and that's the more notable d- injury on either side, the Warriors didn't play their best game on the road on Christmas and still probably should have gotten the win. So overall, I'd say that's a good sign in terms of where you go, especially when you consider that the Warriors have a lot more room to grow due to changeover than the Cavs do. Yeah, I think that that's a good positive way of looking at things. And since you and I both write game pieces, you know, one of the things we encounter is if one play goes differently or one shot falls or doesn't fall, you write an entirely different narrative for the game. So what would the alternative narrative for this game be? if Kyrie doesn't make his shot at the end of the fourth quarter, or if the Warriors get a technical foul called on LeBron for hanging on the rim and they get a free throw there, you know, or if Draymond doesn't get an early foul or two early fouls and all that trouble. I think it really would be, this is why the Warriors went out and got Kevin Durant to score efficiently in games when the rest of the offense sort of looks like crap. Uh, And in the, over the first two quarters, it was Durant really, keeping them in the game and then steadily building a lead for them just with his persistence, his aggressiveness, his diversity. And the rest of the team sort of came around in the third quarter. And that's when the team really started building momentum. 
But Durant was a huge positive, and you're right. There was a lot of room for improvement, but the Warriors still found a way to have a big fourth-quarter lead despite all of those areas where they weren't themselves, where they weren't looking as efficient as they could be. So there are positives here. Uh, the defense, I think, had some good moments. Uh, Draymond obviously had some huge defensive plays, some great stops. Uh, there's some positives you can find there. The Cats had a horrible shooting night. Uh, if you take LeBron out of the equation uh, and Kyrie's fourth quarter, it was a total mess uh, for the Cavs from the field. So, yeah, th- there are positives here, but you can't just sort of imagine this hypothetical world in which you know, important things didn't happen. It's like these uh, you know, popular vote counts. Well, what if we took California out of the popular vote? You know, how many votes would Trump have won by? Uh, you can't dismiss the mistakes in the fourth quarter by the Warriors. So I think the narrative still has to focus on what's the room for improvement? What are the changes that they have to look at making if they're going to beat this casting? Yeah, it's totally fair. And I would say the biggest positive is an offshoot of the one that I said originally, and that's from what I saw in this game, Cleveland did not have an answer for Kevin Durant. The reason the, that ended up not working wasn't because the Cavs were doing something particularly well. It was just that the Warriors stopped doing what was working. And there are a million reasons that you could say, oh, well, the reason the Warriors faltered is a reason they can continue. That's certainly fair. But I do not believe from what I saw watching this game that what changed was Cleveland figuring out a better way to handle it. And one of the big revelations in the finals last year was that Cleveland, when they realized that they could put LeBron on Draymond, they could do a lot of other stuff. And they, you know, one of the switches that Cleveland did was putting Richard Jefferson, former warrior Richard Jefferson, who looked done. Was that four years ago when he missed those free throws? Yep. And so yeah, he looked done at that point, seeing RJ do a solid enough job on Durant. That does not seem like a permanent fix to me. You know, like Richard did a nice job. He also had two way, way throwback dunks, which was exciting. You know, I'm somebody who likes to see those guys do well. But I I just I was sitting there and going, okay, you know, Steph had a rough night. That probably won't continue. Clay was Clay was great. You never know if that's going to go. But I didn't see anything structurally that said, oh, well, you know, Kevin had a Kevin had a really nice game overall, but they can do X to mitigate that. Yeah, and Kevin Love, for example, uh, in the first half, he had some decent minutes because Draymond was on the bench for a ton of time. Uh, In the second half, when Draymond was playing more normal rotation minutes, uh, I think he had, what, six points, relatively inefficient, really not putting an impact uh, or having an impact on the game whatsoever. Uh, It's those questions that I think still are going to linger for the Cavs. Where do you hide Kevin Love? Who guards Durant? Uh, when there is a game where Curry or and Thompson are firing, how do you spread your defense in a way that doesn't just tear it apart? Uh, so those are the tough questions they're going to have to answer if the Warriors look like themselves, but they just didn't look like themselves in the fourth quarter tonight. And Cleveland knows at this point, and this is a this you know if you want to think about it from the Warriors' perspective, puts fear in their hearts is that Cleveland knows if they play hard and they play well, they can win. There, there isn't that doubt like there is for some other teams. Like I, I feel like that might be a little bit true with the Clippers, where the Clippers have played the Warriors kind of well at points, and ever since that playoff series, they haven't done particularly well. Whereas the Cavs know it; it's it's a part of them, and some of that is confidence, you know, that the aura of the Warriors and all that. And we've seen a lot of teams give Golden State their best shot and fall short. But Cleveland has no, they have no doubts about that. They've done it with different combinations of players and everything like that. But I, I wanted to just basically ask this as a basic question. Do you want to talk about the officiating? 
Not really, because I think it was just a poorly officiated game. And Thank I you. Think that's that exactly where I wanted that, to go. That's a it. very kind of, yeah, I mean, it's just sort of, it's not a positive or a negative for one team or the other. It's just a mess. It's arbitrary. There well, were just a bunch of blown calls. So it's a, it's a, it struck I, I, me as something yeah, that just isn't a factor. I think it's a little different than that for for one reason, and that's, Something that will be true, and Warriors fans will remember this, but it's I, I it crystallized for me during this game, and I talked about it a little bit on the Twitter NBA show, which is when a game is called tight, which this game was for the most part, it does not benefit the Warriors because they are not good at the call-seeking behavior that a tight game rewards. So generally speaking, you can think about games you know, having a kind of an ebb and a flow and a balance. And the Warriors just... Duran is the exception to this, of course. He's very good at seeking these kind of calls. The Warriors just don't do that. That's not in their DNA. They get clean looks. They don't get the foul line. You know, maybe they get ancillary, you know, as related to certain things. Like, there was that one where I, I was shocked Curry didn't get the end one because he just always makes that shot. He got fouled on a lay-in. But generally speaking, that's not what they do. Almost every opponent that they play is going to be a little bit more assertive in that way because nobody else can succeed offensively in the way the Warriors do. However... There are games that are called tight all the time. It is not an anomaly. It is not just, it's just the way it is, especially when it's a rivalry game. Sometimes they call that because they don't want it to get out of control. Remembering that the last time, not the last game these teams played, but recently, you know, one of the players ended up getting a technical foul because the other guy stepped over him and they got mad. You know, like that's the sort of thing in this. And so when you're refereeing a game, you know, the pressure, they lean towards the tight direction and that doesn't help the Warriors. So what they have to do in that, as long as they're calling it, you know, it can be bad as long as it's even. And I think largely that was true in this game. It's just that the Cavs were the beneficiaries because they they generate that sort of stuff, LeBron specifically. Yeah, I think offensively for the Warriors to a game that's chopped up and broken up by foul calls and play stoppages just isn't their style. They're a flow team. They really like to get up and down the court and have some time to build momentum. If the game's stopping every one or two possessions for another foul call, it's really hard to build that. So I think your point's right about the Warriors and their call-seeking behavior and that not being their game. Uh, but I also think it's just a team that benefits more from having a chance to stretch their legs and get out and run. That definitely was not this game, uh, thanks in part to the officials. I'll note, just so it's out there on the podcast, that I thought the first and third fouls on Draymond were both really questionable. They were, you know, just the type of thing that, that shouldn't be called. I don't think they were fouls. There was also that one that, of course, there's a vine of that will be included in my piece for The Athletic with Curry. That was a garbage call that the, he, he didn't even touch Richard and he got called for the foul. That sort of thing happens. You know, there are mistake ones. And that said, I... I don't know how to articulate this in the right way because I am wired in a somewhat different way than Draymond. His anger <laughs> on the second foul was completely legitimate and it was well-founded and it was well-sourced. It was also largely unproductive. And I don't know if you can square the circle with him, just like I don't know if you can take those three or four just stupid passes Stephen Curry throws almost every single game. I don't know if you can take that out if that's, you know, if it's special is special and you can't you can't do that. But if they could get a little bit closer, it would certainly help. Yeah, Draymond, I'm inclined to think that it's just the way he's wired and you take the good with the bad. But I agree, even just a little marginal move the way that he behaves and the way that he plays on the court. And he needs to confront that reality and think about how it's going to impact his team. 
we want him and the Warriors want him to be himself and to play to the full potential that he has. But his anger and his reaction, I think, is detracting from his overall uh, effect and ability to help the Warriors. So that's an issue they need to deal with. Uh, but on the blown calls, you talked about the Draymond ones. What's your take on the final play with Durant getting his foot stepped on, apparently? Would you have called that or would you let them play on? It was a foul, but it's a foul that's hard to see from where the refs are currently situated. And it's something that unless you knew that it was what it was, you wouldn't call it. So I, I think the way that I said it on on the Twitter NBA show, and I stand by this, is those are exactly the reason why you don't want it to be a one-point game with five seconds to go. You, yep, those calls exactly are going to get right. missed. That's just a part of it. And you, you talked well about the Draymond part of it, but I feel like as great as he has been, and I've talked about this on this podcast, on Real Jam Radio, on basically everything I do, maybe you can't take it out of his game, but there were a few just unbelievably terrible Steph Curry plays in this game. The one that was the biggest defender was it was, I think it was a three on one fast break and he just basically threw the ball to nowhere. And if they had made that basket, the whole rest of this probably we're having a very different conversation at this point. We talk about the Kyrie one, but those sorts of plays are just devastating. Yeah. And we're at a point in Steph's career. We're in a point in watching the Warriors do this again and again and again, where it's a pattern. There's a reason this is happening. There is some proclivity in these players, whether it's green with his temper or Curry with those passes that makes it happen. So Kerr is the coach and his teammates need to figure out, okay, how do you deal with this? If someone has a tendency in high pressure situations to go for high risk, high reward passes, what do you do? You can't tell Steph to not be Steph, but you also can't be throwing the ball to nowhere in the fourth quarter of game sevens or in the fourth quarter against really good teams that you want to beat. It's just something that you have to negotiate around and figure out how to handle it. But I, I think that that's some of the struggle as they figure out how to defer to Durant or how not to defer to Durant that they're dealing with. Those are some of the complexities. I hadn't really thought too much about this, but it also might be an issue of their general ethos, and we talked about this a little bit earlier about doing what you do, that idea is awesome when you're so much better than everyone else. It works really well, and the Warriors are so much better than just about everyone else. But it also might just be that when the margins get closer, you have to move beyond that just because it gets more versatile. And a team that could be a, a good uh, kind of a, a template to follow on this in a negative way is the Spurs. So the Spurs last year in the playoffs faced Oklahoma City, a, a team that has bedeviled them at various moments in the past. They have some great players. They had some great guys last year. But the Spurs basically said, hey, you know, we've won championships. We're a great team, which they were, of course. We're going to kind of do it our way. And they never really went small. They never went to anything particularly unconventional, except for a few short moments where it worked reasonably well. Guess what? They lost. You know, they, they were they were a great team. They were one of the best regular season teams of all time that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. They lost because they faced a team that the margins were closer, that had some sp- specific advantages. That might be one of the deals with the, with the Cavs and the Warriors is that these ideas work really well and they can carry the Warriors to a championship. They did two years ago. They can again. But being a little bit more flexible would make them so much more dangerous. 
And not just the flexibility for the sake of uh, protecting themselves against a better opponent. There's a familiarity between the Cavs and the Warriors at this point that I think has to be taken into account. Uh, the Cavs have played the Warriors, what, eight times now in the last six months, basically. They played them a lot the season before that. You give a smart player like LeBron that much experience with the Warriors, he's going to figure out ways to just devastate them. And that's why adding Durant is significant. It's a new piece of the puzzle. But the existing players also need to figure out, okay, what are the ways that I can modify my game, change things up slightly, bring a new attack here. And that's on both the players and Kerr. I think it's a a collaborative process between them. But it's obvious now, if it wasn't after Game 7, the same old attack by the Warriors probably isn't going to get it done consistently against this team. Uh, And so there needs to be thinking by the Warriors about how do we elevate it to the next level, whether that's greater discipline on the part of Curry and Green, whether that's finding a way to smooth Durant into the offense in a way that provides his boost without detracting from Curry and Thompson. There are those questions that are framed, and I think it's up to the Warriors over the next couple of months to figure them out, knowing that they're going to have to provide answers in the playoffs against better teams. It's a good way of putting it. Something else I feel like we, we don't have to discuss it long, but briefly, I thought, especially early on in the game, David West played excellently. I thought this was one of his best games, maybe his best game as a Warrior, and illustrated why he's not perfect in every matchup. He's not great. Nate brought up when we were doing our stuff today that he struggles naturally for against somebody like Channing Fry. That makes complete sense. I, I, I agree with him on that. I think he's somebody that the Warriors can implement a little bit better because also he's such a good passer. So he has specific strengths and weaknesses that probably make Kerr a little bit uncomfortable. It's, I also think Kerr deserves a little bit of credit for playing somebody like him at center, which other than Draymond was something he never really did before, before, you know, this really during his coaching tenure. I'm wondering where his place is long term, but I feel like he, as much as Warriors fans gush over JaVale McGee because JaVale is fun and he's affirming in many, in many interesting ways, David West is just fascinating on this team. Yeah, it's all about situational usage, like you said. The the calculus for West is, where can I get away with his relative immobility on defense? Can I stash him somewhere where that's not a liability? Uh, Because he's been a wonderful passer, like you said, for the second unit. You look at some of these great runs, not just in this game, but over the last two or three weeks that the second unit has had, most of them have come with David West being the distributor. There were games where if he wasn't the leading assister for stretches of the game, you know, he was up there with close to the highest numbers. That's a change, and that's an unexpected benefit to, to West's game that I don't think we anticipated coming in. Uh, but it's the same issue that they run into with all the centers, except maybe Green, and maybe even Green to some extent. There are certain matchups where they just get destroyed. And so Kerr really has to pick his spots. He has to find ways to get their benefits without their negatives. Uh, And one of the reasons why I think JaVale is attractive is because there are stretches where, at least superficially, he looks like he provides the best all-around mix. You know, he is more athletic and faster on defense, so he has that mobility that the Warriors like on switching. Uh, And obviously with the lobs, he's an offensive threat that they can go to him and he can deliver points. 
Uh, I think both you and I think that it's a bit more complicated than that on defense because he's a huge liability in certain situations. And you know, he's not a good rebounder because some of his shot blocking tendencies and even his shot blocking has fallen off a bit and there's some problems with it. So you, you can nitpick there, but I understand the, the draft JaVale desire uh, because there is a problem at center and he seems like a plausible answer. But I think it's ultimately going to really be up to Kerr to just pick his spots with the skills that he has and find a way to get the positives like we've seen from West in, in places where they're not going to get burned with their negatives. We also have to see how how much he's Kerr is willing to go to Draymond at center because the other way to resolve this question is to just not use it as much. Obviously, you can't do that in the regular season. I, I get people all the time who say, oh, well, why don't they just do that more often? There's a reason because these games don't matter in that sense. You know, the Warriors, they the Warriors can do fine without it. They don't need it, but they still want to know what they have. And I was encouraged. We didn't see much of it in this game, but it was a couple of games ago where West looked good as a power forward next to JaVale. And that might be part of the answer here long term. Not right now, but long term is going to Draymond at center lineups more. I'm thinking something in the 25 to 30 minute range and then using though the other players in a little bit more of a commingled setting as opposed to what they're doing now with Durant and the starters. And one of the other things I want to bring up, of course, you can share your thoughts on that, was I was very surprised and impressed that when they had the Warriors rotation got garbled in the first and second quarters because of Draymond's foul trouble, I thought they were going to get worked when they had when they had Draymond and Iguodala and West and Sean together just because their spacing was weird. They didn't have Durant on the floor. He'd been so good before. They did a nice job. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look at that stretch. I, I recall that Sean had a nice sort of run where he was a calming influence on the team, and that seemed to be one of the better ball movement periods. And when you have Iguodala, when you have West, when you have Livingston, they have a good sense of how to move the ball and work fine guys. And I think that that may have been a lineup that just uh, sort of coalesced and became greater than the sum of its parts. Uh, but back to your prior point about Green at center, I am completely fine with Kerr not doing it now, but I'd like to see sort of increased minutes as the season goes on or maybe in the final three or four weeks of the season just to give Green some run for a longer extended period to gain comfort with how much he's going to have left in the fourth quarter. Uh, Because part of keeping Green's minutes at center down is you get these triumphant, amazing defensive stops in the fourth quarter where he's clearly faster and stronger than everyone else. Can he still do that if he's playing half the game, 24 minutes at center? I don't know. But let's find out. Let's test it. Because if I can get away with playing Green for half the game at center and still get that great closer defensive Green, I'd love that. That's a tremendous look for the Warriors and something that they really have to consider for the playoffs. But we don't know. That's up in the air, and Kerr's going to have to figure that out. When you were talking about it, the the phrase stress test came in my head, then you used an analog to it in it, and that is a great idea. I hadn't really thought about it too much, but they certainly should, and that's something that you want to know is as you as you put more stressors on, you want to make that sure. And a difference from maybe the early expectations is that the Warriors might have a tough second-round series. They're not going to be able to figure this out all later. They're good enough that they can win without it. They can win without all of these answers, but it would certainly be useful to have at least more information than they currently do when, you know, maybe Utah or Memphis or somebody good's coming down the pike. Yeah, I, I'm all on board with the, the regular season. Really doesn't matter so long as you protect your playoff position and you want to avoid injuries. 100% on board with that. But at the same time, 
you need to know what you have and you need to have comfort playing in the style that you want to be in for the playoffs. And the way you get that is by circling uh, specific games where you really want to try to give it your all and give it top effort and demonstrate what you can do. And a large part of my frustration with the Warriors result here on Christmas day is that I felt like this was one of those games and it was not an impressive result that this should have been a game where they really gave top effort and executed exactly the type of game plan that they want for the future. And what we saw was not encouraging. If this was designed to be a representation, it was not the most encouraging one in a lot of different ways. And I think that's what you're getting at with it is is the idea that also you want those test games to be against teams that can challenge you. Because if you're just doing that against, you know, the the Nuggets or the, the Mavericks or something, it doesn't really matter. You want it to be against the probably the one of the five best teams in the league because otherwise first of all you're not going to be able might not be able to test Draymond on the fourth quarter because you might be beating a team by 20 but also just because that's where you're going to get into the levels of strain and work that you're going to want as a representative sample yeah exactly right you want lebron stress testing whatever your plan is because there is no one in the nba who's going to put more stress on it than he is and if you can withstand the lebron stress test you're probably going to be okay the Warriors didn't withstand it uh, against the Cavs today so back to the drawing board to some extent completely off the wall question but considering the result do you think there's a chance that cleveland sits some of their guys in the in the rematch just because they have nothing more to prove and just to screw with the warriors in that sense i wouldn't rule it out it's the type of thing that i could see lou and lebron doing they clearly know there's a mental component to this rivalry now uh it's always mental with lebron he's always looking for that angle so i I wouldn't take it off the table uh and i also could see kerr doing something similar to that uh, when do they play? Or they play what in Martin two Luther, weeks now? Martin Luther weeks? King, yeah, it's a couple weeks away. Yeah, so Kerr's not going to do that. Kerr will play the guys at home. They'll want to do a good home game. Yeah, so I, I feel like Cleveland, back, Cleveland might pull but, it off because one of the things we learned today was that playing angry because the Warrior, you know, the Warriors played with an ed, more of an edge today, especially Draymond because he always does. But it didn't necessarily serve them well, and so if you can take that away we know they play well with confidence it's something that they've they've done for years even in the years before they won the title they still played with a lot of confidence because they're really good but if they can just basically take away that option just take it off the table and basically say we're probably going to play in the finals we're probably going to be there in june and you won't experience beating us full strength until then I i think that's a really cool mental thing that they probably should take advantage of even if the partners at tnt and everything else will go absolutely insane yeah, it's always tough. I and mean, I remember way back when in the We Believe season when Mark Cuban and Avery and Nelly all tried to play mind games with the positioning of the teams and everything. And You see how that ended up. So at some point, I think you just roll out your guys and you try to win the games. There are other strategic adjustments you can make if you don't want to show all your cards short of sitting guys. So I would hope for the sake of basketball fans everywhere that we get these teams hitting full strength again in a couple of weeks because uh, today, while it was an ugly game and a frustrating game, it was still a very entertaining and interesting basketball game. I'd love to see a repeat of it just with slightly different results. It was. Do, do you realize that Patrick McCall only played five seconds in this game? <laughs> no. Well, welcome to the NBA, Patrick McCall. That was, he came in as a defensive sub for that last possession of the third quarter when inevitably the Cavs got a, they got to the basket. Oh, I do remember that. And then and McCall yeah, was I, involved in that. And so was, I, I understand why they didn't play him a ton. And Clark, Clark was, uh, he was okay offensively. I didn't, I didn't like him defensively in this game, partially because they asked him to do something he's not particularly good at. But is there anything else in this that you feel like we need 
need to tell as a part of the story of this game? Uh, the screwed up rotations in the first half, I wouldn't say they were were really sort of troubling, but when Draymond gets in foul trouble, which is something that happens fairly frequently at this point, I feel like Kerr needs a consistent plan B. And maybe he's experimenting on different approaches to it, but I don't feel like he has it yet. It's probably uh, but I'd love not Kevon <laughs> Yeah, I think that we figured that out today. But I, I'd love to see the Warriors have sort of the, okay, Draymond's gone two minutes into the game, three minutes into the game. How do we map out the minutes of the first half so it's not a complete mess? Uh, because it just sort of felt all ad hoc today, and they were throwing guys out there, and there were some strange lineups. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. But I'd like to see as we continue the experimentation this season, uh, the Warriors try to figure out, okay, what does a non-Draymond first half look like and how do they survive that? One answer that I hope they try is actually going weird and going Sean Livingston and then changing up who the center is just depending on matchup because Livingston can help provide some of that offensive value. And of course, the defensive thing is a big drop off, but it might be just the idea of the closest reasonable facsimile. Yeah, and we haven't seen a lot of Durant at five, if any Durant at five. Uh, It's not your ideal move, but if it's not a physical center, you could probably get away with it. And like you said, it's sort of a creative, havoc-inducing move that, uh, while Durant, I know, doesn't like it and you don't want to rely on it for big minutes, could be an interesting change of pace if you really want to flip something on the team. Certainly, certainly. Thanks so much for taking the time. Always a pleasure. Have a great rest of your holiday. Thanks, you too. Thanks again to Adam Wardson for taking the time to come on. You can read him at Fastbreak, which is the San Jose Mercury News' Warriors fan blog. You can also follow him on Twitter at G-S-W-F-A-S-T-B-R-E-A-K. That's G-S-W Fastbreak. Love talking with Adam, and this game was one that I liked his perspective on it as somebody who's been a long-time Warriors fan, covered the team for a long time, and... You know, we, we talked about it exhaustively enough that I don't really need to add any additional input, except that, you know, it's Christmas and I've been thinking about uh, appreciative of all the support that we've gotten so far, not only from you, the listeners, but from various guests who've taken the time to come on. Really do appreciate that. And from David Locke and the Lockdown Podcast Network for David for inviting me in and then for providing us with all the support. So you can also check out the great work that they do for the Lockdown, the other parts of the network, whether that be other NBA podcasts, Lockdown NBA, which David does, which is great, Lockdown Fantasy Basketball, and the other NFL podcasts. Disappointing weekend in some ways for both the Raiders and the Niners. Raiders more because of the whole David Carr thing. Niners because they won and they shouldn't have won. And I'm a little bit cranky about that as a lifelong Niners fan, but don't need to get into that here. But uh, a fun weekend in terms of sports. It is always nice to kind of this little window, especially if one of the football teams is relevant, which they are right now. So if you want to support the show, lots of great ways you can do it. Download every episode. You can subscribe. That way, it's it, when it's sporadic, you can get it for your commute or for whatever you want to do whenever you have the chance to listen to it. Also, you can leave a rating, leave a review in whatever player you have. You can also check out our sponsors. Not none on the air for this one, but SeatGeek using the promo code LOWARRIORS and MacWeldon.com using the passcode LOW. That really does help us out. Tells them that you came from us. And also just telling people if you are, you know, in the holidays and you're talking with people in your life that you think would enjoy this podcast, you can tell them about it. And hopefully they do. And hopefully if they don't, they don't hold it against you. But I really do appreciate all this, all the support and the well wishes and everything like that. And it has been a fabulous experience so far. And hopefully it will only grow from here. So thank you so much. Take care and make it a great day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. 
It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.